Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Baltazor. And today, we're going to be doing the long-awaited, we'll say long-awaited, game preview for the matchup between your Kansas State Wildcats and the Oklahoma Sooners, or as we will call them, the SEC Sessionists. <clears throat> and don't care. Still saying it. I can see you shaking your head, Connor. No, I'm shaking my head at OU, not you. Oh, okay. Don't worry. And this is a long-awaited matchup due to Kansas State and specifically head coach Chris Kleiman's recent record against Oklahoma, where in conclusion, Chris Kleiman does not lose to OU. I mean, that's the obvious and only conclusion that we can draw from the previous few meetings. I mean, the evidence is irrefutable. Yeah. Exactly. But before we go into this year, let's go over their stats from the 2020 season. They were a 9-2 team with a 6-2 conference record, 1,977 rushing yards with a clip of 4.7 yards per carry. Yards per carry, excuse me. 34, uh, 27 rushing touchdowns, 3,465 passing yards with 9.57 yards per attempt, 8 passing interceptions, a completion percentage of 68.8%, 30 passing touchdowns, a third down percentage of 40.74, 24 sacks allowed, an average of 43 points per game, and a total of 473.4. So, again, a lot of numbers, 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 but that tells you how prolific their offense was last year. And it wasn't just through the air, they were efficient through the air as well. But they were also able to run the ball effectively, which is exactly why their, spoilers, their more play-action-based offense really works. Yeah, I think the uh, most critical thing to look at here, at least for me, is that while their pass yards uh, far outnumber their rush yards, their passing touchdowns and rushing touchdowns are almost even. There's only a difference of three. So it, it just goes to show that they're going to keep you honest, uh, despite having such a prolific passing attack at the very least last year they were able to do this uh they were just so hard to defend because i mean the running game was just so good yeah and uh, then we can go and get into the defensive stats unless you had anything else to add on offense nope uh the points per game defensively they were giving up 21.73 points per game for a total of 239 points against them they gave up 2701 passing yards and 12 passing touchdowns then they gave up a, a 1,156 rushing yards and 18 rushing touchdowns. Uh, red zone scoring percentage was 22 of 39. Uh, they got 16 interceptions, 3 fumbles, 37 sacks, and their turnover differential was plus 5. Um, what I really draw from that is um, they actually played very well defensively for most of the year. Um, they... Um, K-State did much better than their average points per game uh, against OU when they played them. K-State dropped, uh, I believe it was 38, uh, compared to just the average that they allowed, which was 21.73. So it was a bit of an anomaly there. And uh, they didn't lose a ton from this defense either. So Yeah. The notable returners are, of course, the starting quarterback, Spencer Rattler, who... I'm not going to say the word that I have written down because profanity bad, but he was their leading passer from last year. And I will say 
the closest substitute that I have for the word there is he's the most Oklahoma quarterback of Oklahoma quarterbacks that I have ever seen. And if you know, you know. And that's all I'm going to say. They're returning Marvin Mims, their leading receiver. Originally, they were going to bring back Theo Weiss, but he is hurt this year. Austin Stogner, tight end, their third leading receiver. Nick Benito, or Benito, never learned how to pronounce it. I'm just going to pronounce it Benito. A linebacker slash edge rusher, who was their sack leader from last year. Isaiah Thomas, a defensive lineman and their second leading sack getter. And finally, their leading tackler, Brian Azamoa, linebacker. Yep, um, and they still lost uh, some significant contributors from their uh, 2020 squad. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, their leading rusher from last year, he was drafted to the New England Patriots and uh, had a very prominent preseason there. Uh, then they lost uh, two defensive backs in Trey Norwood and Trey Brown. Uh, their um, number one and number two leaders in interceptions, they both were drafted. And then Creed Humphrey, their center, was drafted to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, he's doing pretty well for himself. And also on the, the notable losses that I forgot to write down, they lost literally every running back that was on their two deep from last year. And I'm not talking about on their two deep at the end of the year. Any running back that they had on their two deep at, at any point in the year either got drafted, transferred, or were dismissed from the team. Yikes. <clears throat> but that, yeah. That is tough. Yeah. But moving on to this year... They have played four games leading up to the K-State matchup. The first one should have been at Tulane, but it ended up being played in Norman. It was a victory, a very close victory, an uncomfortable victory for the Oklahoma Sooners, a 40-35 victory. Uh, Western Carolina, literal nobody school, unfortunately. They won against uh, Oklahoma, won 76-0. That'd be really funny if Western Carolina beat Oklahoma 76-0. That would have been the game of the century. (laughs) And then Nebraska, who entered this game 2-1, they fell to the Sooners 23-16. And then West Virginia, who entered Norman, a similar record of 2-1, ended up losing and falling to the Oklahoma Sooners 16-13. And the stats for those games are as follows. Yep. Um, they, they, you, you want the combined games? Just like, so yeah, the just the, their stats. 2021 stats. Yep. All right. So they're 4 0. Um, so far they've just beat West Virginia. So now they have a 1 0 conference record. Uh, rushing yards, they uh, have 587 so far this year, averaging 5.4 per carry, which is, uh, really good. Uh, and then passing yards, uh, 875, uh, 7.8 yards per attempt, uh, which is a lot less than you would expect from a um, high-powered Oklahoma offense. Uh, they have seven touchdowns, uh, just two interceptions, uh, 10 rushing touchdowns. Uh, they're 48% on third downs, which is uh, above average, as we we now know. Because mm-hmm. now, we, now we know what, about the averages for third downs. Uh, they're averaging 45.7 points per game, which a lot of that comes from that one game against Western Carolina where they dropped 76. Uh, against quality opponents, which... Uh, I guess Tulane, Nebraska, and West Virginia, the average is significantly lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, points against, they've allowed 64 points against them. Granted, that's all come in three of their games. Uh, they're plus five on turnover differential, and they have 13 sacks through four games. Yeah. So now let's get into the general film notes, which 
The new system for our film notes is we pick the three teams that we feel are the best indicators for what K-State will give them, or their last three games, depending on which we're going with. So uh, I regret to inform you that whenever teams play KU, the KU game will not be what is reviewed. <laughs> but the first game, and the first game of the year, was Tulane. And this was a game that had a lot of people worried, and there are a couple of worrisome stats. Uh, I'll go over the offensive ones first. In terms of Oklahoma's offense, they got 116 rushing yards with an average of 3.3 per carry, 304 passing yards with an average of 7.8 per attempt, one passing touchdown to two interceptions, three rushing touchdowns, a third down percentage of, wait for it, 25%. Yikes. And then one sack allowed. Connor, you got defense? Yep. Um, defense, they allowed 100 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. And then uh, they allowed a staggering 296 passing yards and three passing touchdowns with no interceptions. That is pretty atrocious, especially against a team that OU should have been dominating. And they recorded four sacks and forced three fumbles. So... Yeah, and they actually managed to recover most of those. But unlike Okie State. Yeah. It's also worth noting there are a couple of things to note about Tulane going into this game. I mentioned that it was originally supposed to be a home game for Tulane. <clears throat> they could not play in New Orleans due to Hurricane Ida. So and they had to bounce around from practice facility to practice facility. So not only did they lose out on a home game, they lost out on a lot of practice time to travel time. Also their quarterback is a freshman. I think technically a redshirt freshman, but still a freshman. Do with that information what you will. Yeah, it's pretty concerning that OU wasn't able to absolutely dominate uh, Tulane, given all of the circumstances leading into that game. That should have been in OU's favor. I mean, every every indicator in the world uh, was screaming that this should have been a blowout for OU, and they barely escaped this game. Uh, with their lives because uh, as i recall uh, tulane amounted a comeback and then they recovered an onside kick pretty late but they just weren't then they came up one yard short on a fourth down conversion yep uh that would have put them in pretty good field position uh, in ou territory as i recall yep so and it was a freakish second half comeback as well but let, let's talk their offense first for this game they mix in a bit more formations than we saw against oklahoma state but they're still mostly an 11-personnel team. They don't want to take Austin Stogner off the field, which I understand why. And offensively, I'll, I'll take this one as well. They are the definition of a modern offense for both college and NFL. They have a lot of motion, a lot of RPOs, a lot of slide concepts, which is that weird bootleg thing that every offense nowadays does. If you name a spread in West Coast principle, Oklahoma has their own version of it. So you can't just look towards other offenses. You, Oklahoma's offense, for better or for worse, is uniquely theirs. Their wide receiver screens were a massive play call, and that's the only big part that I will say is not a big NFL part of the offense, but it's college, what are you going to do? Plus, they have their signature really annoying trick plays. They've busted them out. Once per game, and the most important thing that I have highlighted is that 
they on if they're passing the ball, they're passing it off of play action. Straight dropbacks are not really their thing. Yep. Uh, they those trick plays really get annoying. I I will say, like it, it's infuriating to watch them, uh, especially because like with OU you kind of know it's coming, and so it's even more infuriating when they still like pull it off. But uh, staying on their offense, uh, Spencer Rattler uh, begins and ends with uh, Spencer Rattler. He has unbelievable arm talent. Uh, that's both to his benefit, which. Obviously, arm talent's great, but then it also uh, is a detriment in that he overthrows uh, pretty commonly. So that's that's a, a pretty significant potential benefit for K-State if he can reel in his arm or not. Um, he can run, but he's he, he's not really a read option threat, uh, more a panic option. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's someone who will escape the pocket, but he's not looking to run most times. He... It's more or less, hey, nothing is open. I guess this is my only choice. Yeah. Uh, so not wanting to take off when he doesn't have to. Um, he will run really far backwards when he is presented with pressure. But he has, again, a lot of arm talent. So he can get the ball downfield and he's an accurate passer. So even when he's scrambling, he's still a threat to move the ball downfield. Um, one thing is that he does drift too far back on his drops sometimes. That's not the same as uh, running far backwards when he's getting pressured. Uh, it's just on his drop, he'll go back too far. It's very similar to something that Patrick Mahomes does. Um, and then also he is unbelievably streaky. Uh, we kind of saw this last year when KSA played OU. Uh, Rattler, I'm pretty sure for the first through third quarters, his only incompletions were interceptions. Yep. And then the fourth quarter, he just absolutely collapsed and had a not very good uh, fourth quarter at all through another interception, had multiple incompletions. Um, so sometimes he will just be unstoppable, but he'll have uh, pretty much equal streaks of, of seeming just inept. Yeah. Also, sorry if you hear things in the background. Control what you can control, and unfortunately, I cannot control other people. <laughs> as awesome as that would be. But a, a note, another note on their general offense is they're generally up-tempo. They're not, they're not as fast as Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State does want to get you out of position as much as they can. And even then, they're still not a NASCAR offense. But they are still, still will run a lot of no huddle, but they're not nearly as up-tempo as Oki State. Yep. Uh, on their offensive line... Uh, they're a very solid unit. They're a good unit. Uh, but they are not elite by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, they're good anchors and pass protection, um, but they are a bit out of their element when they are asked to pull. So a little bit dissimilar from uh, previous years, where it seems like OU just always had like an unbelievable offensive line with several high-level draft picks. Uh, maybe not the same this year. Uh, just a solid unit across the board, but uh, nowhere. Nowhere near like some of their previous heights, like with Creed Humphrey or Orlando Brown. Yeah, they they miss Creed Humphrey in the middle of the offensive line, and I will say that. But we'll also go more into their entire offensive line later in the general recap. But they're running... Oh, no, never mind. I get to talk about their wide receivers. Um, yeah, their wide receivers is one of the best receiver rooms. It's definitely the best receiver room we will see. That's not even a question. It is in contention for the best wide receiver room in the country. And 
I, I truly mean that. I, I think it maybe goes Alabama, Ohio State, and then Oklahoma. And I think Oklahoma is a lot closer to Ohio State than people are willing to admit. But they have freakishly twitchy athletes with great routes and really great rack threat, run after catch, which is why they're so good off of screens. And they are, without a doubt, like I said, the most talented wide receiver room we will see. And if you want a perfect example of this, their top two wide receivers. Number four, Mario Williams, is, I think right now, playing as their number two receiver. He's starting as a true freshman. What do you, what can I say other than that's ridiculous? And then Marvin Mims himself had himself a day with 100-plus yards in this two-lane game. But yeah, their, their receiver group is ridiculously talented. Yep, just another year, another uh, season of OU just being unbelievably talented in the receiver room. It, it it's, it's, it's about as annoying as their trick plays. But anywho, uh, their running back room, on the other hand, has taken a bit of a step back uh, from what it has been in the past, although they're so good. Uh, their running backs are decent. Uh, they're good enough receivers. They have good enough vision and speed. Um, number zero, Eric Gray. Uh, he has really good contact balance. Uh, specifically, he's more of their uh, receiving threat out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and I have the same problem right now. We're both fighting the burps. But <clears throat> the tight ends are deceptively good blockers, but we'll go more into that with uh, Austin Stogner, mostly. He's also a very good vertical threat at tight end. But moving on to defense, they are another 3-3-5 team. But unlike Oklahoma State, who played a lot of stack alignment, they're going to play the SAM alignment or with two linebackers on the line, which SAM alignment means linebacker walked down to the strong side of the formation. Yep, and then um, they're going to play a pretty healthy balance of man coverage, cover three, and match three. Uh, when their corners are impressed, they have pretty disciplined footwork. Uh, in man, they played a lot of cover two man. And then uh, they have very physical cornerbacks. Uh, they're very handsy. Uh, they like to get their hands on you and just uh, mess with you as you're trying to get down the field, which could spell potential bad news for our receiver core. They don't need any more confusion than there already is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say, at least in this game, their coverage short was their biggest weakness. And that's not even really because they were playing ridiculously far off like Oklahoma State. It's just something about short routes and short releases. I guess they, they're not very good at defending. Yeah, which is really interesting. Uh, something that K-State should definitely try and take advantage of that. Um, the edge defender um, is you got a major over-pursuit issue on options or other runs. Um, it's A lot of that's because just defensively they play very, very fast, uh, like the offense does as well sometimes. At least it feels like it because their team speed is unbelievable. Um, the speed, um, it makes their bowl rushes really strong uh, for uh, um, pass protection. But uh, on the run game, that uh, is actually kind of advantageous at times for them to uh, um, just go all out. Yeah. And then their defensive line are much more finesse guys than power guys. And they're technically sound and can hold their ground as opposed to Oklahoma State where they were technically bound but much more powerful and able to defend the run yeah so their defensive line is another solid unit there's not a team on this unit that i think is truly bad yeah they uh uh, the the d line's pretty 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 good 
Um, but combine um, um, several different factors like uh, the edge defender over pursuing and the coverage short not being the best in the world. Uh, RPOs will demolish this defense. Uh, play action will as well. They're very, very effective uh, against this defensive unit. Yeah. And they were not... Oh, this is a defense that you could certainly catch off guard with play action and trick plays, which you think against Oklahoma, their defense would be used to seeing trick plays more than anybody. You would think so, right? But. <laughs> I guess not. Yeah, you would think that uh, when they watch the offense and you know, practice all these trick plays in practice, that they would be a little bit more used to it. But unfortunately, they are not, at least for them, unfortunately. But uh, another thing that they struggle at occasionally, at least in this game, they did against Tulane. Uh, they did not tackle very well. Uh, a lot of diving, a lot of attempts at arm tackles. Uh, I imagine it's very frustrating to watch as an OU fan. Uh, with all this talent on your team, you just can't bring people down because it's just kind of lazy tackling for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something that will be especially important for us is outside runs under center were really, really something that Oklahoma got abused on in this game with a Tulane running back whose name escapes me, but he is talented. But he's not, he's not, he's the kind of guy that gets picked up as an undrafted guy. He's not a running back you're looking to draft. But still, that is very important for what K-State's offense wants to do. Yep. Um, their pass rushing stunts against Tulane, uh, they're pretty tough to watch. Um, they're a lot better at just straight up rushing rather than being schemed into rushing, which is really interesting. Uh, just better improvising, I guess, than... Uh, them having like a coordinated plan they like have to follow yeah and kind of going off of their stunts blitzes are still a part of their overall game but they pretty reliably will mostly blitz linebackers with the occasional corner blitz they're not like in oklahoma state who whose goal is to make their their blitz schemes completely unpredictable in the ways that they're bringing them but blitzing is still a big part of their game and then the one thing that should really uh, uh, light up in the minds of a lot of K-State fans is that they are not very good at covering running backs in the pass game. Uh, that's kind of a, hopefully a light pump over the head moment for one Courtney Messingham uh, that we can take advantage of. We definitely took advantage of that last year mm-hmm. uh, with uh, two long completions to Deuce and then Keon Mosey uh, in that game against OU last year. Yeah. The final note I have for the two-lane game, this is really weird and unquantifiable, and I can't really explain it, but their defense picks the absolute worst times to fall apart. And what I mean by that is if you need them to show up in the clutch and you need them to get a stop on a critical third down, not a normal third down that'll happen in the middle of the game, but a high-pressure third down, I'm not sure if the freshman quarterback for Tulane is just stupid clutch or if Oklahoma's defense just chokes at the wrong times. Or at least I didn't know that leaving this game. You'll get the answer later. But that's just something I noticed this game. But now, moving on to Nebraska. My roommate would be happy about this game, that he was even close for it. Offensively, Oklahoma had 194 rushing yards with 5.5 yards per attempt, 214 passing yards with an average of 6.3 per attempt, 
one passing touchdown and no interceptions, two rushing touchdowns, 54% third down percentage, and no sacks allowed. And then defensively, um, they allowed 95 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown, 289 passing yards and a passing touchdown. They got one interception. They recorded five sacks against this Nebraska team, and they did not force any fumbles. Yeah. A very similar defensive stat line to the uh, Tulane game. Uh, it's especially concerning for their pass defense that they gave up 289 to Adrian Martinez, who, as we know, is not a very good passer, and he has never been a very good passer in multiple years of starting at Nebraska. So I'm getting 289 on OU is more than concerning, I think. Yeah. And side note, watch some more film for this game. Connor, can you, t- can you tell me what the what it says right next to film notes? Uh, yes. Uh, it says, film notes, I hated watching this game. This game sucked. <laughs> this, and it's not even because of the two teams playing. It was just painfully boring, which... Of all things, I never expected to describe Oklahoma football as boring. Which is crazy because this game was so anticipated as like the rematch of the game of the century. Which if you're going to call a game the game of the century, that means it was good. And then the follow-up matchup to to replay it is just horrible. <laughs> yeah. but At least there was that unbelievable interception uh, late in the game. That was, at least from what I could tell, one of the very few exciting plays out of this game. True. That that's the only reason I didn't like fall asleep watching the game. You're <laughs> just looking forward to that one moment. I think it was like late fourth quarter two or something. So you, yeah, so you had to get really far into the game for that one play. Yeah. Wasn't worth it. But anyway, offensively, something I notice is a lot of teams will take pass protection for granted. As in they'll have some really basic pass protection scheme like you block, like, whether it be man, slide, anything in between. No, Oklahoma's pass protection schemes are really creative and good for the most part. However, sometimes they can get a bit too cute with it, like putting a running back on a fully grown defensive lineman, which is something they did this game. Uh, and they weren't asking him to chop him at his knees either. No, they were asking him to stand up, block him. I'm not sure I agree with that. But you do you, and it works for them more times than it didn't. So their pass protection schemes are something to watch out for. Yep. Um, and then uh, when they're running, they use a mixture of zone and gap runs. Uh, they're both effective, um, but the offensive line, like we've said before, uh, they look out of place when they're pulling. Uh, it's really odd that this is the case because they move well laterally as a, as a whole unit. Um, and then uh, number 54, Marquise Hayes. He looks especially sluggish at left guard. And then uh, number 71, Anton Harrison. He is only marginally better at pulling, and he's the left tackle. Yeah. And then the final note, offensively, because nothing offensively happened in this game, is that number zero, both of their running backs, number zero, Eric Gray, and number 26, Kennedy Brooks, had very good days on the ground, which you can see from the stat line. And they showed a lot more shiftiness in this game than in Tulane. Both of them did. Eric Gray still has his good contact balance, but Kennedy Brooks showed that he is a very, very good between-the-tackles runner. Yep, and then moving into uh, the, some of the defensive notes from this game, uh, in many ways, uh, the intermediate middle field coverage was very lacking in this game, uh, very reminiscent of uh, the K-State defense 
Uh, that's something that we have not been able to figure out since, I mean, even before Climo was here. Like, we've really struggled with middle field coverage. Yeah. But that being said, you don't really need to be the greatest middle field coverers if your pass rush is getting there. And that's where number 11, Nick Benito, comes in. He is an absolute monster. And he showed it this game. Even if he, even if he's not the person getting the sack, he will be the person very close to it if it is not him. And he can also cover. <laughs> yeah, that is really frightening. Uh, such a versatile athlete. Uh, kind of similar to what K-State was using uh, Khalid Duke as this year. They were dropping him to coverage occasionally. Uh, Except yeah, Nick, Nick Benito is better. better. Considerably like, better. Um, and then uh, they played mostly too high for a majority of the game uh, with coverage rolls. Uh, not much to say about that. That's that's just what they did. <laughs> yeah. They're still not the greatest tacklers either, but I want to take this note because it's still really funny. Yeah, take it. it. It's not an important note. I just think it's really funny. There's a play where number 10, Pat Fields, meets a lineman, a Nebraska lineman. He, I counted, I watched the play multiple times, and I counted how far he got launched. He got launched eight yards through the air. He became a part of the Oklahoma Sooners space program for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) That is utterly depressing. Uh, Tough look for Mr. Pat Fields to get launched against Nebraska of all teams. (laughs) To be fair, it was a tackle and he's a safety. Fair, but still hate to see it for Pat Fields. Um, Other thing is that they had a surprising lapses in zone coverage discipline, again, at the absolute worst possible times. Uh, They bite down on flat routes, which leaves the further routes downfield open, which is really odd. Again, it's not quantifiable, but they are just the least clutch defense ever, it seems like at least these first uh, couple of games against real opponents. So, and make of that what you will. (laughs) Yeah. And similarly in that vein is their DBs are much better in man coverage, which that's kind of scary. (laughs) Yeah, don't love that for our receiver core. Um, And then when they blitz, their gap discipline is just atrocious. Um, So it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but... When they blitz against the run, they actually play it worse than they would if they didn't blitz, which is kind of hilarious. It's the exact opposite of what it should be, but it's it's really odd. Um, and this also still applies when they stack the box. There is no explanation for this. No. AC, you have anything? No. Yeah, we're sorry. I, we don't know. Yeah, we. there's nothing to say other than uh, where they're in position and have the perfect blitz call for, like, a three-yard tackle for loss, they'll still find a way to give up three or four yards. With a stacked box, two people playing in the A-gaps, both blitzing, still give it up. I can't explain it. But this is a game where they really easily could have been dinked and dunked to death with Adrian Martinez just not looking for that opportunity. So I want you to think about this. 289 yards Adrian Martinez left on the field and he wasn't even playing efficiently (laughs) yeah that kind of sounds like Adrian Martinez of like he just he we know he's not a good quarterback and it's kind of hilarious that OU had a terrible day against Adrian Martinez and Adrian Martinez was making very consistently poor reads and 
I there's I don't know what to say about that other than that's just absolutely hilarious that OU let Adrian Martinez have a field day in the worst possible way. And it, it's hard to call it a field day when you just look at the stat line, but considering what he could have done to them, it absolutely is because he was making terrible choices yes. and was still getting a lot of yards. So uh, that just kind of rolls into this next point, just that Nebraska's offense uh, gave OU uh, quite a few fits this game, which is a it feels like a paradoxical statement to say that Nebraska's offense was good at anything. Yeah. But they were. They they handled uh, OU despite uh, only getting 16 points. They're really annoying their defense. Yeah, like you wouldn't know any of this by looking at the looking at the stat line. And that's because Nebraska in the red zone is awful. But it just seemed like there's no universe where Adrian Martinez should put up 289 on Oklahoma. Good for him, I guess, but <laughs> it's just it's just the way he did it is just the most interesting part to me because like he could have had an even better day. Nebraska could have won this game, possibly, if they had just taken the short opportunities that OU, for some reason, cannot cover. But instead, they decided to just go deep over and over and over, and I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't either. But moving on to a similarly... Well, it wasn't as boring, but it wasn't exactly an explosive offensive day. In West Virginia, their opening conference game, West Virginia also being a 3-3-5 team. Actually, in fact, I think everyone that they played has been a 3-3-5 team. That is very odd. I don't remember, actually, if Nebraska... I think they are. I think they are. Don't quote me on that, but I don't remember right now. Very odd. But offensively, they, as in Oklahoma had 57 rushing yards, averaging two yards per attempt. Yikes. Yikers. That is bad. Yeah, that's awful. Uh, 256 passing yards with 7.1 per attempt, one passing touchdown to one interception, zero rushing touchdowns, surprise, surprise, 42% third down percentage, and four sacks allowed. Yeah, and defensively, they gave up just 47 rushing yards, uh, one rushing touchdown, 179 pass yards, no passing touchdowns, one interception, they got one sack, and they forced no fumbles. Yeah. And so West Virginia is obviously a defensive-minded team. Right. They always have been. Yep. It goes beyond that, this game, because Spencer Rattler seemed just really off the entire game. He was missing wide-open reads that he normally wouldn't miss. He was overthrowing his receivers, bailing on pockets way too early. On all except the last drive, these were things that he was doing. And then the last drive happened, and suddenly he decided to activate his clutch gene that no one has ever seen from him. And I think he was perfect on the last drive, which I think... Weird. I think 50 of those passing yards came on the last drive. Which, that's... Pretty sad for an OU offense because that, that probably would have put him maybe under 200 passing yards on a day without that final drive where Rattler just became a different individual. <laughs> yeah. I, eh. But you got the next thing. Yep. Um, and then uh, this game, uh, it, it was a bit of an outlier for uh, the pass rush. Uh, the West Virginia rush was actually very good. They weren't letting themselves get manhandled. Um, it was... 
mainly Spencer Rattler allowing himself to get sacked as opposed to West Virginia getting sacks. Although they do kind of go one and the same. You can't put all of it on the offensive line for this outing. Uh, just Rattler just uh, made some poor choices. Go figure. So Yeah. No, I'm not going for that joke. Uh, <laughs> um, it was going to be about the rat tail hair. But oh, okay. if you if you know what I'm talking about, you know how poor a decision that was. But, yeah, on that point, Spencer Rattler got, can get himself sacked because of how far he drifts and how much he's just willing to bail on pockets. And I'll talk about this later in the general recap, but that's that's a big part of his game. And the running game in the West Virginia game was a complete non-factor. And consequently, the play-action part of the game was a complete non-factor. Therefore, their offense didn't work against West Virginia. Because West Virginia very simply would not let it. That is kind of hilarious. Um, But uh, defensively speaking... Uh, this is the game that shows their lapses in short coverage the most. Uh, they got absolutely dotted up in the short game, especially early on. Uh, By Jarrett Dagey. I mean, that is, that's kind of the Jarrett Dagey special. He can't do much else other than, like, some quick West Coast routes. He doesn't really go beyond that, honestly. That's how they, that's one of the main ways that they were able to be so efficient against K-State, uh, last year, was they just dotted us up on, uh, easy, uh, short routes for Jarrett Dagey to, uh, handle. Um, so it's interesting that this was the game where their short coverage lapses were, uh, seen the most despite, uh, their very poor coverage performance against Nebraska. It's what happens when you get a quarterback that still is not very good, but unlike Adrian Martinez has a semblance of field vision. So, (laughs) so he can actually see that, uh, the short routes are going to be very open. Yeah. Speaking of uh, field vision, the QB contained for Oklahoma in this game was absolutely horrendous. There were a couple plays where I stopped and counted, and I believe there were three plays that I counted where there were four easy escape angles for Jarrett Dagey. He didn't need to take them because the short route was open, but their QB contained was absolutely atrocious this entire game, which... You know, if we have all but one quarterback out of the three possibilities in there, that's very good for us. Yep. Um, then the defensive line uh, also kind of sticking around on uh, this uh, kind of QB contained pass rush sort of uh, theme. The D-line was playing like it was a pass rush down every single down, and that brings up significant issues when you're supposed to be sealing gaps. Uh, so that's possibly something to take advantage of uh, the D-line, just like trying to pass rush even when the ball's being run. Kind of strange. Yeah. It's even stranger whenever they're trying to do a bull rush and they, like, knock an offensive lineman. Granted, it worked for them a few times, which is why there was only 47 rushing yards. But they would just launch an offensive lineman way past their gap, and it would just leave the gap open. (laughs) But, yeah, something else to note, which, again, two out of our three quarterbacks should be salivating hearing this. Yeah, they're not going to stop the QB run in the red zone. They're not stopping that against anyone. I'm pretty sure you could run a PB team out there and they wouldn't stop it. Yeah, uh, Will Howard, he could definitely take advantage of that, but that is Skylar Thompson's bread and butter is the red zone quarterback run. We saw that uh, in 2019 against OU when he had counted 
four rushing touchdowns against OU, and he was literally averaging like two yards a carry because all of his touchdowns were, it seemed like, from like two yards out. So, um, And then uh, the last point on the defense. Um, again, this is another thing. Their defense just as a whole, that has kind of been the big theme about them, is nothing that they do really makes any sense at all. Uh, stunting um, makes their pass rush worse. Again, we don't know. Yeah, I, I don't understand <laughs> how that can happen. But now we get to move into the exciting bit, which is the overarching themes that we collected from this game. And we'll start, go, we'll go position by position because I like that format. So let's start off with the quarterback, Spencer Rattler, because I assume they're not benching him for the five star that will be behind him, especially in the away game. But Rattler is very good. Is he the best QB we've seen this year? No. Is he the most physically talented QB we have seen this year? Absolutely. Is he the most physically talented QB we will see this year? Absolutely. But he's not the best. A lot of his production is manufactured, especially his completion percentage, because you got to keep in mind, a lot of Oklahoma's offense is those wide receiver screens, especially with this wide receiver group. He has a very, very big arm, which can cause a lot of his overthrows, but will also cause him to fit balls into windows that should not be possible. No pause. And he's very, very streaky, which, like we said earlier, he will go on long... Sometimes it lasts three quarters, where he will just not be able to throw a completed pass to save his life, unless it's a screen pass. But then he'll have just the same amount of drives or pick one quarter where he looks like he's the best quarterback in the country. And it's that inconsistency that, that both terrifies and makes me happy. Uh, he He's average in terms of his mobility. He's not a true threat on the ground. He doesn't have that factor to his game. He's not going to be a threat in the option. He runs to extend plays, and if he runs to gain yards, he that he's not going to gain much. And he really, really, really dislikes pressure. But he has the opposite problem that Spencer Sanders had, where Spencer Sanders, his decision-making would remain okay. It was just his accuracy that went really bad. No, Spencer Rattler's decision-making gets really bad, but his accuracy remains very good, which... I, I, I don't know, man. This is a very confusing OU team, uh, just in that it seems everything that should make sense doesn't, which makes it make sense, because <laughs> it's just the opposite. It's just everything's like opposite day with this team, like which is very odd. Um, it just has kind of worked out for them so far, but if they don't get their things, if they don't get this stuff figured out, their days are numbered in the undefeated column. Like that, that's without a doubt. Yeah. And the final two notes are he, all capitals, he really hates contact. He does not want to be hit at all, which that is the most Spencer Rattler thing I've heard. It really is, isn't it? Like that, that is truly like, that is such a Spencer Rattler thing like to, to do. Like he, like he will, he absolutely despises contact in every sense of the word. Always has. Yep. And the final note is he's very drifty in the pocket, as in he doesn't he doesn't have one spot that he seems to really like standing. And even his footwork in the pocket just seems like it's in slow motion. Yeah, just Rattler's just a, a one big enigma. 
Um, but moving on to running backs, uh, number zero, Eric Gray. He is the twitchier and better receiver of the two main backs. Although number 26, uh, Kennedy Brooks, he is a much better between the tackles runner. So both are very good. Uh, they're both solid running backs, but neither of them are better than Jalen Warren and what we saw from Oklahoma State, which is great news for us because when Jalen Warren went out of the game, the run defense returned to normal. Uh, it seemed like Jalen Warren just kind of had a different gear about him. And uh, and even then, uh, we, we did kind of start to buckle down there in the second half and play better run defense. It, it just wasn't it wasn't as good as it has been. But it was better than it had been in that game. So. Yeah. You can take the wide receivers and tight ends because I really want to cover the O-line. Gotcha. Um, the wide receivers, uh, like Ace said earlier, they are by far the most talented group on this team. Uh, and they also are probably, they're in the top three, without a doubt, for best uh, wide receiver rooms in all of college football. Um, they're, you can make an argument they're better than Ohio State. I think um, Bama and probably not. No, like, <laughs> but I mean, that, that's still very, very excellent. Um, they're all very twitchy. They're all excellent route runners with great ability to run after the catch and their hands are solid. Um, that just sounds like, that just sounds like a room of OU receivers, <laughs> like really excellent athletes, uh, great route runners run after the catch. is unbelievable. And their hands are like, they're fine. But, uh, Hollywood Brown we saw this past weekend with his uh, his fine hands. Yeah, uh, CD, CD Lamb is the exception. Yep. Uh, then uh, number four, Mario Williams, and number 17, Marvin Mims. Those are the standouts in that room. They're both going to be high draft picks in the future. Marvin Mims especially so, I think. Uh, Marvin Mims has been so impressive to me. He is so much fun to watch uh, as a neutral observer. He will be very annoying, though, as a uh, K-State fan. Yeah. Then moving on to tight ends. Uh, Austin Stogner, number 18, he is very good in every aspect of his game, but he is not elite in, a, in any aspect. Uh, he's big enough to make contested catches, big enough and technical enough to make ceiling blocks, and he's fast enough to warrant a safety covering him. So that makes him the prototypical, who do we put on this guy, tight end. Um, Reggie Stubblefield, I guess. <laughs> Probably. If, he's, if Reggie Stubblefield is healthy, I think he's basically the only option to put on Austin Stogner. Uh, just J Mac. J Mac might be able to. Um, I I'd like to have J Mac and run support. Uh, for the most part, or just like around the line of scrimmage, just blow up. Uh, Spencer Sanders if he needs to. Rattler. Rattler. Yeah, they have a lot of nerve having the same first name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now the offensive line, and this is the first time that I'm breaking down each of them individually. All of them do a very good job of concentrating the pass rush to one area meaning that they will shove everyone into one part of the offensive line to make it easier for Rattler to either escape or drift away from that area. And that is one of the most ridiculously underrated parts of this offensive line that you can't specifically pin on one person. But going through their offensive line, I have two notes for each of them. Their left tackle, Anton Harrison, number 71, he can overset to one direction but he's a good enough to anchor to where it does not really matter in pass protection. And he's a good run blocker. Like, all of these guys are good enough to get drafted. I will say that. Um, Their left guard, Marquise Hayes, number 54. He's a bit sluggish when pulling and can can get caught standing straight up. 
but he's still a ridiculously powerful guy who's very good at moving laterally. And their new center, Andrew Rame, number 73, the only thing I noted about him was he's good enough to not get noticed, but bad enough to not get noticed. It's weird, but that's how I choose to explain it. All out. Basically, he's not going to do anything spectacular, but he's not going to miss anything. Which sometimes for offensive line is all you need. Right guard, Chris Murray, number 56. He's the best puller on the team, and it's not even remotely close. He's very good at kickout blocks, and he is a finisher. He will keep his hands on you until you're down or the whistle blows. And sometimes, when you are down, he will just sit on you. That's annoying. Yeah, that's very annoying. Uh, I do want to see him try and sit on Timmy Horn, because I think he would just bench him. But Yeah, good luck with that, Chris Murray. Yeah. <laughs> And then their right tackle, Tyrese Robinson, I think is by far their best offensive lineman. He has outright elite footwork in pass protection, and he's surprisingly more agile. Because you look at this guy, and you think, no, he's not agile. No, 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 no. You don't quite get it. He is freakishly agile for his size, and he's just freakishly agile in general. And he gets out there on screen plays very quickly, which is something Oklahoma likes doing a lot. So yeah, offensive line, very, very good group, which does concern me, given our performance last week. But you got defensive line. Yep. On the defensive line, number 95, Isaiah Thomas, uh, he lines up on the opposite end of uh, Nick Benito uh, most of the time. He's a, he has a lethal bull rush. Uh, he's a high-end athlete. Uh, so okay, that's a guy to keep your eye on is number 95, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, and then um, all of them are much better pass rushers than they are run defenders. Yeah. The exact opposite of Oklahoma State, which in many ways this team is the exact opposite of Oklahoma State, which is funny because they're both from Oklahoma. Mm. But moving on to their linebackers, number 11, Nick Benito, is he can do it all, except maybe elite zone coverage, but they don't ask him to do that a whole, whole lot. But he's he deserves the pedigree that he's getting as a first-round prospect. They're still a fine group overall outside of him, but they're a bit lacking in middle field coverage. But if you're going to pick one, if you're going to have a linebacker unit be good at everything else, sure, I'll take that. Yep. That's something that you can definitely live with. Um, defensive backs, uh, number 10, Pat Fields. He is the leader on this defense. And also pretty, an astronaut. Pretty clear. <laughs> also, also an astronaut, I guess. Uh, then uh, number seven, Latrell McCutcheon. Uh, he's a freshman. I believe he was a five-star. Uh, he's getting back-shouldered pretty easily, uh, which is it's crazy. I believe he's a true freshman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so unbelievable that he's uh, getting this much playing time. Uh, he's a little slower to get his head around than most people, but he's uh, very sticky in uh, man coverage. Uh, disciplined in press. Uh, they, um, they're not exactly the best in bump-and-run coverage. Uh, they're better in bail. Um, they do know how to play in contested catch situations. Which, that's, oh, no. that's concerning. <laughs> uh, they're a lot better in man coverage than in zone coverage. Uh, the entire group is not very good at taking on and getting off the blocks. So, run support is not in the defensive backs manual at OU. No. No, it's not. Now we can talk about their play calling. Now, offensively, it's very strange. Because as streaky as Spencer Rattler is, their offensive play calling seems to be the exact same way. They will shift very quickly from trusting Rattler to really not. 
they will shift from multiple screen plays, run plays, RPOs, to just freakishly complex, not freakishly complex, but complex for a college quarterback reads, and they'll seemingly do it on a dime. Most of the time you build up to plays like that, they just pick random times to do it. But they still work in a lot of play action, RPOs, and motion. It's a very, very QB-friendly offense, which is why so many Oklahoma quarterbacks turn out as well as they do. Because they're freakishly talented, and then they walk into a system that knows how to use the fact that they're freakishly talented. You can cover defense. Yeah, their defense, uh, despite the uh, um, playing abilities and playing habits being a little strange for them, their defensive play calling is less strange. Um, they mix in a lot of coverages. They keep the quarterback guessing. They do the same thing with their pass rush. Uh, they um, blitzing actively. It just makes everything worse in their game. Um, same thing with stunts. Again, we don't know. We have no explanation, and we're very sorry about that. But they need to have an explanation for it before we do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't get it. Um, and then against Tulane in West Virginia, they got absolutely dotted up in the short game, and they should have been against Nebraska, but one Adrian Martinez um, has negative field vision, so not much that you can do about that now. But uh, the short game is the very clear weak spot through a few games for them. Yeah. So we'll actually switch off on general here. Uh, just in general, this is possibly the least clutch team that I have ever seen in my life. I'm including the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, wow. Um, That's really bad. Yeah, seriously. Choklahoma does not apply to any team better than this one. They will pick the worst possible time to fall apart, and they will say, I can do that twice. That is very concerning uh, because they they are just a monstrously talented roster. I mean, we all know that OU is just going to get – a uh, constant flow of blue chip prospects onto their squad. But the story of this team is that they just have not managed to put it together for some reason or another. It's a miracle that they are a 4-0 team, honestly, at this point. They should have lost West Virginia. They could have lost Nebraska. They honestly should have lost to Tulane. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's pretty unbelievable that they are at the point right now that they are. It's just, it's ultimately, I think, it's just their talent is saving them over and over and over and that's not sustainable, even for an OU squad. Yeah. And similar to not putting everything together, for every game that one unit has a great day, the other completely falls apart. So, for example, the offense against Nebraska and West Virginia and the defense against Tulane, only one unit can have a good day on this team. And that's good for us, but terrifying to think about in general. Yeah, that's really frightening. I don't know what to do with that. Um, but then we can move into uh, some of the stories to watch going into this game. Uh, how does Spencer Rattler recover from um, the lack of fan support last week? He was being actively booed by the student section and other fans in the OU uh, stadium. Um, how does he fare in his first road game as well? Yeah, I think it'll... Because I don't think what happened to Will Howard was due to him being in a road game. I think that was just one thing happening after the other but i don't think i don't think rattler is in the same headspace as will howard because i think will howard is someone who has faced a lot of adversity in general rather hasn't 
the the worst thing that Rattler has had to deal with is maybe losing a few games. Yeah, my roommates decide now is the time to be very loud, by the way. Maybe you should. Maybe you should be quiet. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So do you have thoughts on that? Um, honestly, yeah, I think you're right. Will Howard, at least uh, in college, uh, has faced way more adversity than Spencer Rattler has. Rattler, honestly, as it goes, has faced among the least adversity I've ever seen for a quarterback, at least what we know about him, at least what I know about him, because uh, he just was an awful person on QB1, at least, allegedly. I didn't watch the show, but you've had less than stellar things to My say about him. God. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he's seemingly not faced too much uh resistance thus far in his college career he's yet to play true road game so i expect bill snyder family stadium to be so loud that the windows on the west stadium center are cracking from the high decibels so because that's optimistic we need to rattle mr rattler pun intended we ain't afraid no rattler we ain't afraid no rattler so you can cover it. No, wait, I got the next one. Yep. Can K-State's offensive line come back from a dismal performance last week? Uh, considering how most of their dismalness was due to insane blitz stunts and also good run defense, yes. I I think they can at least be average. That won't be enough, but I do think they won't be as awful as they were last week because last week was exceptionally terrible. Uh, and Oklahoma State... As such a uniquely creative blitzing team, uh, we're not going to see a lot more like that, at least from what I can tell. Uh, definitely not going to be from Oklahoma oh. in terms of blitz creativity. So they should at least be a bit more successful. Um, I do remember a couple of years ago, we did have some very creative uh, run blocking schemes uh, back in 2019 uh, to run against Oklahoma. So if we can get back to stuff like that, just get back to the basics uh, and play to our strengths on that. Um, we should have at least a solid performance, I think, from the O-line. Yeah. Uh, then next, uh, this is a big one. Can Deuce get back on track? Yeah, I'd say so. I think he will as well. Uh, I, I don't think that's too controversial because, I mean, OU's defense uh, is not as good. It's not as good a run defense as Oklahoma State's is. They are not porous. They are not porous, which is one of our favorite words, but, but they are not elites by any stretch of the imagination. They're not even great. They are... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So. And then another big one is, can K-State's defense avoid the one bad quarter that they've had in a few games this year? Which, they've had two games this year where I can think of that they've had, well, two and a half. I can think of two games where they just had an atrocious quarter. First quarter, Oklahoma State. Second quarter, Southern Illinois. And then I guess if you want to consider it, maybe second quarter, Nevada. But even then, that's pushing it. Yeah, I think the closest you'd be able to get would be the third quarter against Nevada. Um, but even then, yeah, uh, the defense wasn't awful. Um, so I honestly, I don't think that they'll be able to get past this. I think that the defense is going to have one bad quarter. And I think we just need to mentally prepare ourselves for that. Which quarter will it be? It's coming. It's probably going to be the third quarter. If it's the third quarter, I don't. That's why this team makes me so nervous. Is because we can't score in the third quarter, but we let them score in the third quarter. Uh, we did. Uh, we did score our one touchdown against Oklahoma State. That was third quarter, right? Are you talking about that freak accident play to Deuce? Yes. I think it may have been. I think it was. So one way to break the streak is it. It has to happen somehow. 
But yeah, I I, I think there's going to be a bad quarter at some point in this game for K State's defense. Yeah. So, wait, no, you have the next one. I do. Yes. Oh. Can K State's defensive backs match up well with OU's wide receivers? Because there's a kind of a clash of the titans here. Um, like there's the matchup to watch here is obviously going to be Marvin Mims versus uh, Mr. Echo Island, Echo Boydo himself. Um, so what can we expect uh, from this K-State secondary versus OU wide receiver matchup? Well, I don't know what to expect. All I know is it's going to be fun to watch, especially if Brents can get his head up and stop getting back-shouldered. If Julius Brents can figure that part out in this game, things really turn around really quickly, I think, for the secondary after a bad first half against Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's about all it takes. I think to get things turned around, at least on the boundary coverage and middle field and the uh, deep middle coverage, the center field coverage. Uh, ultimately, OU, I think they're going to make their their money uh, up the seams and uh, across the middle with a one Austin Stogner. Uh, yeah. But boundary corners, uh, I'm hoping they'll have at least decent days. Yeah. And the next one is can OU's defense find consistency? Probably not. I'm not going to waste much time on that. Uh, they, I don't think they will. They haven't shown any reason for us to think they will. Yeah. And now you get to ask yep. the most important question. Yep. Who's K State's quarterback this week? Who's it going to be? We don't know, because a press conference earlier today from head coach Chris Kleiman said that Skyler is unlikely to play this weekend. Also, that Will Howard's a bit banged up. However, I will remind you that this is the same head coach who, going into the TCU game, knew personally that Skyler Thompson was not going to be playing against TCU, and yet still said that he had a chance of playing. So... What I will say is the game plans will vary. <laughs> if it's Skyler, pound the QB run and try to fly high, even though it's could, you know, you know. It might happen. Yeah. Who's, even to, though, say? Who's even, to say? Yeah, even if he's unlikely to play. If it's Will, pound the QB run and take advantage of their short coverage deficiency because he's a good horizontal passer. If it's Jaron Lewis, pray. We are screwed if it's Jaron, I think. Yeah, we, we die. Uh, pray to so. whatever God you yeah. believe in. Skyler and Will, I think, give us both uh, very good chances uh, to win because Will has enough experience at this point, and he was throwing good passes against Oklahoma State. So I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a still a Will believer, despite what some people are saying. That completion stat line uh, that was not accurate to the day that he was no, having. It wasn't. And Skyler, signing it. Yeah. and Skyler has proven that he is a dragon slayer. He is a sooner slayer. Uh, he just plays out of his mind against Oklahoma. For no reason. Uh, we don't know why. Uh, good for Skyler. So if he's back, I feel pretty good um, about the team. Same with Will. Less good than if it's Skyler, but I do think that there is a path to victory with Will. Jaron, we have to hope it is the luckiest day of his life. Yeah, lucky Lewis. Lucky Lewis. Like, it, honestly, it could happen. Yeah. Now, that's luck. Yeah, so here are our projective offensive and defensive MVPs. We won't spend too much time here because the episode's running a bit long. Uh, my pick for offense is Cooper Beebe because of how good Nick Benito and Isaiah Thomas is. He will have one of them every single snap. I expect him to be handling them. Yep. I'm going out on a limb and I'm picking Malik Knowles. He's coming off of a game where he just, he honestly, in the first quarter, he really let down Will Howard. Uh, he had a 
a great kick return, but then he also screwed up on the next kick return pretty awfully. That led to the uh, offensive uh, turnover that led to points immediately for Oklahoma State. So I think Knowles, I'm just going to predict here, I think he turns it around today. Or I always say today. You always say today. Uh, I think he turns it around for uh, the cast against OU. And he has a touchdown in some form, and he has reliable hands. I'm going out on a limb and saying that I'm probably wrong. I'm just trying to manifest. Trying to manifest. Well, you you nearly manifested Will Howard being the MVP, and then his passes got dropped, and then he got hurt. If Williams' passes had been caught, then he would have been the MVP of that game, I think. Absolutely. Because he would have been, instead of 4 for 12, he would have been, I think, 9 for 12. Yep. Like, well, he actually would have fewer attempts because there would have been touchdowns caught before he could have tried to throw more. Yep. But defensively, my pick is Felix Anidike Uzoma, or as we've taken to calling him, King Felix. I don't have a good reason why. I just have a good feeling about Felix this game. Because last year we had a lot of success with Duke. We had a lot of success with, obviously, Hubert as well. And I think that Anidike already is better, technically, than Hubert was. Hubert was just a lot faster and had a much higher motor because Wyatt Hubert's motor was off of the charts, but I feel like NEDK Uzoma is improving so rapidly at a technical at a technical level. It's it's like him and Nate Matlack are are developing technically at the same speed, which is very encouraging. If they keep doing that, we're going to have an absolutely lethal pass rush in the future. Yep. My pick for defensive MVP is Daniel Green. Uh, Daniel Green, I think, is he's still the difference maker on this defense. Uh, if he can have a good day in the middle and just basically, uh, he just needs to be an enforcer in the middle of the field and not get ejected for targeting. Uh, we just need him to be there to keep run plays to a minimum uh, to make sure Spencer Rattler's scared of scrambling since he's so afraid of uh, getting hit and taking contact. Yeah. So Daniel Green, I think he plays a massive role in this game. Yeah, offensive MVP for Oklahoma will be targeting penalties. Uh, you're actually probably on to something <laughs> there. But... but yeah, I we have different score projections depending on who the quarterback is. If it's Skyler, I have it 42-38 cats. If it's Will Howard, I don't know, but I'm not willing to project a Cats win. I'll go with 35 to 14, not 14, 35 to like 21 Cats. If it's Jaron Lewis, we're getting 49-7. Yep. Uh, Skyler, I've got a 41-35 Cats dub. Uh, If it's William Howitzer, I think it's going to be a 40-28 OU victory. I think it'll be a late pull away for OU. If it's Jaron... It doesn't really matter, honestly, what I say. It won't be pretty. Um, he, he just He's not going to lead us to the promised land. Will can do something. Jaron just... Whew, wow. Yeah. I don't know. Jaron Jaron is not ready to lead us against OU, I will say. No, absolutely not. And I feel like of all the quarterbacks, the one that's most ready to lead us there, if it's not Skyler, is Will Howard. It's definitely Will. Like, if... If Skyler cannot play, I am much more comfortable with Will under center than Jaron. Will has a uh, he's able to do more with the offense because he has that mobility factor. I don't know why people think Jaron Lewis is mobile. He's just not. He's a pocket passer. He's a pro style quarterback. Please stop. Jaron Lewis cannot run the ball. Yeah, you you're wrong. I'm sorry. 
yeah, but it, I, I get that Will Howard looks awkward when he runs because he looks like a baby gazelle. Yeah, he, he has he, long legs. Yeah, he just he has incredibly long legs and he looks really clumsy, but he can move. Like he he can run. We saw him get a nice run against Oklahoma State. Like he does have speed. Jaron Lewis is just slower and smaller and just a worse runner in every way. He has a good arm talent, but he's just so unbelievably inconsistent that we I can't trust him to uh, do well against OU unless we really hit the short routes well. Yeah. And even then, I'm not very confident in that either if Jaron Lewis is the quarterback because there's just no run threat at all. all right. the, the last thing I'll say is picture the mind, picture this mind game, right? They're announcing the starting lineup at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Lincoln Riley is out there watching the video board to see who the starting quarterback is supposed to be. They announce Jaron Lewis, Columbia, Missouri, as the starting quarterback. Lincoln Riley goes in. He's feeling good about his day. K-State gets the ball first, and they allow Jaron Lewis to enter the game as the starting quarterback. And then suddenly, K-State finds some way to turn off the sun and you just hear, by God, that's Skylar Thompson's music. And then Skylar Thompson just appears on the field like The Undertaker and then proceeds to just reap the souls and dreams of the entirety of Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley soils himself, runs back to Norman with his own two legs in shame, retires to become the new K-State offensive coordinator. <laughs> All the way down I-35. All the way down I-35. <laughs> Some incredible stamina. <laughs> my God, that's Skylar Thompson's music. I will lose my mind if Skylar comes out as quarterback on Saturday. Like, after, if it's not expected. Because right now, it's seemingly not expected. Uh, I'm keeping my, my hopes dampened, but I'm not, I've not given up hope yet. Yeah. Yeah, this pretty well wraps up this episode. If you want to... S- Follow us on Twitter. We are at Aggieville ACATS. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are at AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00 on Twitter. And I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C and capital B. If you want to support the show financially, you can go ahead and check out our merch store, which has our limited edition original Alley Cat t-shirt, which will be going away by the time this episode comes out in, what, one day? Uh, one day. Well, no, it'll be, uh... October 1st. Yeah, that, that's Friday. Okay. October 1st. It'll be going away October 1st. As well as other designs, such as Cats in the Alley, Neon Alley Cats, or Base Aggieville Alley Cats text. But most importantly, thank you for listening to today's episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between... We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.